This episode is brought to you by Creative Edge. Creative Edge specializes in getting exposure for independent artists, writers, and authors. They also specialize in arranging book signings, school or library events, or other functions pertaining to the arts. If you are interested in seeing what they can do for you, visit them at creative-edge.com. Welcome to the In the Mouth of Monster podcast. I'm your host, Monster Dugan. Today, we have a special uh, New Year's episode planned for you guys. So I'm flying solo here. I have a special conversation lined up here with an old friend of mine, a really great guy that I really look up to in this uh, horror community here. He's a former writer, still writes for a couple of uh, magazines and has his own podcast that um, basically is kind of the inspiration for this podcast, in all honesty. And I'm speaking, of course, about uh, the dead man himself, Mr. Michael Jones, host of the Calling Hours Horror Podcast. How you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. It's it's good to hear your voice. It's it's good to be on the podcast airwaves again. Yeah, man. It's been a long time since we chatted. Seems like, what, a couple of years or something since we had a, an episode together? Yeah, it's been about three years. It's uh. It's been a long and interesting road, and I'm sure we'll get into all of those things as we we go along this evening. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so for those who don't know, basically, he's my kind of the guy that got me into the horror uh, uh, community to begin with. I fell in love with this podcast when I was, uh, you know, looking for horror themed stuff to listen to and came across the calling hours. And it was a really phenomenal podcast with some great uh, interviews. And actually, some of the interviews I've done on this show have actually been some people that he's interviewed uh, way before I ever got to him. A a really great uh, addition to the horror community here. So it's been a while. We haven't uh, done done much stuff together. haven't really talked in a while. So how have you been, man? How's uh, how's your uh, holidays going? All that good stuff? Holidays were good. Got to spend time with my family, my daughter, so that was nice. Weather's been unseasonally warm in North Carolina this winter, so nothing like having a 71-degree-day uh, Christmas, which is weird to me. But, you know, other than that, it's not bad. I've um, been slowly getting myself back together to bring the podcast back and, and several other things. You know, it's... um. There were some circumstances that happened right before COVID that really made me rethink what I was doing in the industry, you know, and um, there were a lot of people in the industry that attacked me over a situation that they have, they know nothing, absolutely nothing about, you know, it's, it's not surprising, you know, journalism in my eyes has fallen a lot in particularly over the last year, but if you want to talk about over the last five years, to be honest, you know, things have become so political, politically divided these days. Um, and that was a big reason why I stepped away three years ago, you know, uh, the political divide, the forcing of agendas. Um, for those that don't know, Donovan and I wrote for the same site a couple years ago and, um, he was the one that brought me in. He used to follow my work back when I was at Horror Society. He heard the podcast. And when I left Horror Society, he's like, why don't you come on over here? And one of the things that excited me about that site was the fact that the site touted itself as a site that believed in diversity of opinion. 
And in the beginning, it, it was that way. But as time went on, it definitely became more one-sided. And writers like Donovan and I, who are not afraid to express an opinion contrary to, quote-unquote, the popular belief, you know, we were told to curb our styles. Donovan in particular, you know, his writing styles were picked over and raked over the coals. And I kind of laugh now seeing how, how far Donovan has come, how far you've come, man, in the industry. When you were told in the beginning that, you know, you needed to do it this way and you needed to do it that way, you stuck to your guns. You kept doing what you wanted to do. Now you're a successful author. I mean, I can't even begin to think of how many, books how many of your short stories have been published you have your own book now you're doing a podcast you're writing for other sites and it's it's nice to see that you did not cave into the pressure and you're doing what makes you you man well you know man it's just you know when you really love something you know you you just got to do it and I don't know. I've, I've I found that a lot of people are appreciative of of seeing me uh, step step up and go after these things that I really wanted to do. So you know, it's given inspiration to some other people, which you know you inspired me, and so now I'm inspiring other people, and that's the way it should be. So, well, like yeah. I said, I'm I'm glad to see you doing it, and you know those events, you know they made me, you know I semi went into semi retirement. You know I start you we had talked about uh, me coming over to the. House of Tortured Souls, and I did a few things over there, but, you know, it seemed like, you know, the site was kind of dying off, and, and everything kind of stopped over there for a while, and I weighed the pros and cons of continuing to write, and it's it's sad that everything has become so political, and it's not just politics, it's it's everything in life. You know, we can't talk about sports without politics getting involved. We can't talk about horror movies without politics getting involved. And it was, it became very tiresome because if you don't agree with a certain side, you know, the popular thing to do is to cancel somebody so that their voice can't be heard. And, you know, I'm just not into that. Even if I don't agree with somebody's opinion, I still believe you have the right to say it. I don't have to believe what you believe in, but I respect you enough to have you say your opinion. And that's part of what we do as journalists and podcasters. We're supposed to listen to both sides. If we don't understand the other side, how can we ever come together for an agreement? And it just seems like so many places and people these days don't want to do that. They want to be an echo chamber. And, and that's not the, that's not what good journalism is. Yeah, totally agree. All right, so let's hop into a couple of these uh, questions here, and then uh, we'll get to that podcast stuff, because I have some stuff I want to ask you about that. Uh, so we'll get to that here in a minute. But uh, Certainly. Let's uh, start from the beginning here. Um, so you're from Wood uh, Woodbridge, Virginia, originally. Is that correct? Yes, yes. As you mentioned, you're at, you live out in uh, North Carolina now, right? Yes, I've been here for the last 32 years. So, you know, this is one of those typical questions, but I like to always ask people because I'm curious to see the answers to these. But uh, so how did you uh, get into horror? Were you one of the kids like me that, you know, just at, since you were very, very young, you, that's been your life? Or, or you know, how did you, you end up uh, becoming a big horror fan and, and working in the genre? 
Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Um, I was born in 76, so I'm a bicentennial baby. And my first recollections of, of really getting into horror was my grandmother. My grandmother was Japanese. And when I was young, um, she would show, you know, when it came on TV, she would show me the old Toho Godzilla movies and stuff like that. And it just, it kind of evolved from there. Um, my parents didn't let me watch whatever I wanted, but I got to watch a lot of horror growing up. And I feel lucky because I came in when, you know, cable TV was just starting and VCRs and, you know, videotape rental stores were a new thing. That was that was commonplace for children of my age. We grew up in video stores. We grew up on HBO, Cinemax and things like this. And, you know, I got to watch uh, a lot of the films that we considered classics basically as they came out. So it just furthered on and furthered on. Now, my interest from a little kid was always the special effects end. And that's what I loved watching movies for was the special effects. Yeah, and speaking of that, you have your own uh, company. I'm, I'm not sure how much uh, work you're doing nowadays uh, with the COVID and stuff, but um, right. So tell me a little bit about Slit of Your Wrist uh, Effects. How did that come about, and um, how did you get into doing that? So, like I said, I've always, since I was a little kid, I was fascinated by special effects. Now, I never went to school to be an effects artist. I don't, you know, I don't pretend to think that I'm Tom Savini or Giannetto De Rossi or any, you know, any of the legends. You know, I'm not that. I'm a self-taught guy. And I always did Halloween makeup, always did growing up. And in late 2006, I went to a haunted house here in Raleigh and the guy who owned it was helping a friend in Sanford, North Carolina, a director by the name of Christine Parker, make his zombie oh, film yeah, called she's Forever great. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. And, yeah. And um, I went out there to cover it as a journalist for horror society and i brought my makeup kit because it was a 24-hour film shoot and i helped him out and that's where i met bill mulligan who you know great friend of mine who's an effects artist you know they wound up needing somebody to help them with the effects when their head effects guy quit so i helped them with that and it just went from there i wound up picking up a z13 with the guys from All Aces Media in Greensboro, North Carolina. And then an, uh, a fantastic director, I wish more people knew about, a guy by the name of Aaron Harvey, who did a movie called uh, The Evil Woods, which was shot in Waxhaw. Um, that movie went on to be picked up by Lionsgate Home Entertainment uh, for their straight-to-DVD market. You know, And I've worked on uh, Mental Scars with Viper Productions, and more recently I've done more short films and things like that. Unfortunately, in the state of North Carolina, we are um, we're under these COVID restrictions. So independent film is kind of not something that we I can do right now because they're requiring the film sets in this state to basically be professionally scrubbed at the end of every day. And, you know, I'm reading where these things cost $10,000 a day to do. So a lot yeah. of indie film is not being done right now. Now, I've got three projects lined up, but, you know, whatever's going on with COVID, 
has got to end before we can start working on anything. Yeah, and speaking of uh, the one, uh, the what was what did you say it was the woods one? Uh, uh, the evil woods. Yeah, is it, isn't that the one where you did the evil uh, the bunny or whatever it was? Oh right. no no no, that was on the Forever Dead. That <laughs> oh, okay. That uh, that was a really micro budget film, and but you know I have to give Christine and everyone that worked on that film a lot of credit. Uh, the drive and the ambition was there, and and I think that was the important thing. Part of the reason I got into effects work was I had already been a journalist at that point for seven or eight years. And, you know, I'm doing reviews and I'm critiquing films and I'm talking about all these things. And it struck me that here I am talking about these things, yet I don't know what it's like to be on a set. So I decided to go ahead and just make the plunge and start doing the effect. Whether you like my films, whether you hate my films, you know, the one thing that nobody can ever say to me is, I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, the vast majority of people who write in the industry don't know what it's like to be on a film set. They don't know, you know, how to do makeup. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to direct. And, and you know, while a bad movie can be a bad movie, once you've been on a set and you've seen how things are done – you watch movies differently. You understand now, okay, now I understand why they did this camera shot, or now I understand why it was lit this way, or now I understand why an effect had to be done this way. It's very easy for someone to dream a scenario up in their head. It's another thing to be able to practically do it. So I I feel like that's an important thing. You need to know what you're talking about in order to really write about something it's like anything else yeah that was nicholas vince did a uh, interview with tom savini just recently for the chattering um hour his his podcast and uh he was talking to tom about tom savini about doing special effects and tom savini said um you know when he went to vietnam went to the war and he saw all these body parts and people losing limbs and things like that and he said that that actually helped him with his special effects because it gave him the reality you know he 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 got to see what it really looks like, so he knew what to make it look like when he did his his work on the sets. But I want to say you have some phenomenal work, man. Some of the stuff I've seen of you, like I said, that Killer Bunny um, <laughs> mask, the mask they use in that one with the clown that you did, that was fantastic. So I yeah. appreciate it. No, and you yeah, know, man, and I, Tom Savini's right about that. You know, it's a lot of people. You know, and I'm just as guilty of it. I still am sometimes, but it's a lot of times when we watch horror movies, we're like, "Oh man, that were that wasn't enough blood," or "Oh, that's not realistic." Well, you know, the thing is, is like we don't have as much blood in our body as some of these movies make it look like. <laughs> you don't bleed gallons of blood, you know. Yeah. yeah. A, a a crushed head or a severed body part, you know, it's. It's not always this horrifically gory thing, you know, it's I've you know, now I don't have Tom's experience of of seeing dead bodies in the battlefield. Now, I I have been to morgues. I have I have witnessed an autopsy. I have witnessed the real thing, you know, but I mean, it's it is it's it's. It's so surreal sometimes to think about the things that we put on camera, (laughs) you know, with with what we see in our life experiences. 
But I'm glad um, you liked that. I'm glad you liked the Killer Rabbit from the Forever Dead. That that thing is an interesting thing. All yeah, on. man, it was just yeah, it was great. <laughs> I I like uh, seeing that. It just looks fantastic. You know, I, it always it kind of reminds me of not really, but kind of reminds me of the uh, you know the stuff from uh, Monty Python with the rabbit and everything. And uh, that was but, actually kind of the idea. The funny thing is, if people don't know, Christine is. I want to say Christine was British. I know she's European. I'm not exactly sure where. But I do know that when we were getting ready to film that scene, that was what kept coming up was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So that's yeah. pretty much where the concept for Bugs came from in that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I really enjoy your work, man. And, um, you know, I only wish you lived closer because when I do some of the, some of my films I'm starting to do here, I wish I could have somebody, you know, that knows what they're doing to come work on it. So Well, I'm you know, if, when this oh, COVID but... shit stops, I can always come out and visit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I shot my first short film. I've said this so many times on this podcast now, but I shot my short film recently, this, just this last year, and uh, it's going to premiere next year, uh, November, at um, a night of Misfit Films. I was already invited to have it premiered there. So Very so nice. Guess. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, well, because I know Danita Williams Triggs, you know, I'm good friends with her. She's She was uh, uh, a member in a book I just put out because uh, I had a bunch of people uh, contribute for a, a charity book she does that film festival. And so she, you know, she, uh, knowing me and everything, and, uh, she decided to invite me to the film festival this year. And then after the film festival, uh, a couple of days later, she invited me to premiere my film next year at her film festival. So I was just like, Oh my God, thank you for the opportunity. So. Well, I'll keep an ear out, man. If I hear anyone else looking for content for film festivals, I will make sure to point them in your direction. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the greatest film. It's my first short film I've ever actually done and, and made myself, and it's kind of a slow burn, and there's not much happening, but, um, you know, it is what it is, and, and once I get better, you know, because like you said, once you hit the film set and you realize and you start seeing things, you know, uh, we did two shoots of of it, actually, and so we shot it once, and a few months we, later, we decided to go back and do a reshoot because... Um, you know, just the stuff wasn't the quality wasn't as good as we wanted. And the second time around, man, the is the drastic change. It looks like a high. The first film looked like a high school film. Second film looks like an actual legit short film. So, no, I get you, know. you. Well, like I said, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that you that you're moving into these other aspects. I'm glad that you're going somewhere with it. Well, my whole point of all this to begin with was was to basically direct some movies. And that's and this kind of all started to get to kind of go that way. I'm making a little bit of money off of the books and stuff now, so I can put a little bit of that towards funding the films, which is what's my original idea to begin with. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, we're talking about you becoming a writer and stuff and getting involved in films and everything. Um, How how did you uh, end up as a journalist? Because I do have to put this as a caveat. You're one of the most controversial journalists I've ever met. And (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that more than people, you know, a lot of people don't get that. They think, oh, just because he said this or whatever. But like you said, you have to take um, both sides of the conversation. And, and if you're not a real journalist, if you're not looking at both sides. And so you sometimes tend to take the side that uh, a lot of people don't really like, uh, which I, I applaud you for that, because, you know, it takes a lot of balls to do something like that. But, it does, um, you know, and that was part of what led to the split three years ago from the site. And, you know. You're right. People kind of have this misconception of me that I'm this ogre because I've said this before. I've said this in other podcasts. I've said this in interviews, and it just doesn't seem to sink in with people. You know, I'm one of those people. I really do believe 
that everyone should be treated equally. I'm one of those people that I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what you do in the bedroom. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about your skin color. You're a human being, okay? I believe we should all have equal rights. I don't give a damn what you do, okay? And it's like, I've, I've always prefaced my work with this and people just don't get it. You know, the, the character of the dead man, okay? Where, where all that came from. I had always wanted to be a writer. I always wanted to do what you're doing now, which is to be a novelist. That was always my dream all through high school. I said, that's what I want to do. And it just, it never came into fruition. It's, it's like, I have great story ideas in my head, but I'm terrible about sitting down and writing them out. And I started watching, you know, I watched a lot of film, watched a lot of film. And in the early two thousands, uh, there was this convention going on um, out of state and they were looking for content for a flyer. And one of the things that they were talking about at the convention was it was like a tribute to Lucio Fulci. And it was um, the Shocker Fest convention. I believe it was 2001 to be exact. They needed a piece on Lucio Fulci and they couldn't find anything that they liked. So I wrote this little piece on Lucio Fulci and they took it in. They loved it. So that started it. And then um, I had a buddy of mine, um, Stephen Epps, who, and, you know, we're talking early 2000s and the websites weren't like they are today. He had a, yeah. um, a little site called Horror Vane and I started writing for them. And it was basically just the two of us and low budget stuff, you know, time runs out. Well, I contacted Horror Society, a website based out of Chicago. And I got on there and I have to give Horse Society a lot of credit because they let me basically write whatever I wanted. I didn't have someone standing over my shoulder saying, you have to say it this way. You have to do it that way. You know, they let me format the articles. They let me put my pictures in the way that I wanted to. And I was with them for a really long time. It, it was really great. That's what kind of led into the podcasting. They had a blog talk radio account that they weren't using. They used to have a podcast, but it only went like five or six shows and they quit doing it. And I took it over and, and that's where that started. From there, from the journalistic standpoint, I just started contacting horror movie magazines because, again, at my age, growing up, magazines were big. Didn't matter what the subject was, you know sports horror movies whatever magazines used to be a real thing people believe it or not for those of you that are not old enough to really uh, understand the appeal of magazines you know i read fangoria magazine things like that now you know again it was a dream god i wish i could get published in one of these things now i've still never made it to fangoria but i've been published in magazines probably close to 70 times over about 10 or 12 different magazines you know, it's it's fun. And I try to tell people it's it's like working on a movie when I can walk into the bookstore. It's, it's got to be the same for you with your book, man. You know, if you can walk into the bookstore yeah. and you can see your book on the shelf and there's your name, nobody, no matter what they say, nobody can ever take that away from you. 
How many yep. people can say that they've published a book? I can't even say that, dude. You've done something that I haven't. You know, and I'm very proud of you for doing it. Like I said, I know it was something that you had wanted to do and were trying and was trying to do, and you finally did it. You know, so that's that's kind of where it all came from. It was just my love and my passion was there, and I wouldn't take no for an answer. I just kept applying myself and applying myself and applying myself till a site accepted me, and then I ran with it from there. You mentioned your podcast too, how that kind of uh, developed over this. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, the Calling Hours Horror podcast, which is, if people don't know, I mean, you can still go find it and listen and check it out. And there's a, um, how many episodes did you did? Over 100? Uh, there was almost 140 episodes. And yeah, and that's, and that's I'll a lot. You, there's, yeah, there's going to be, I'm coming back, we'll, but, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. But um, how it came about, you know, I started seeing that podcasting was a thing. I was started to see more and more of it. And I saw that there were horror podcasts and I was like, man, this, this would be something that's cool to do. And I decided to get into it because nowadays everything has gone digital, you know, magazines are digital. Now they're not printed yep. books or digital. You know, it seems like everyone wants their content digitally. Nobody wants to read an article, but they'll listen to someone talk about something. And I've noticed that actors and actresses, producers, all of these people, they're hip to that. And a lot of these people would rather give you an hour of their time so that they can answer questions directly when you ask them instead of receiving an email Taking a week to answer the questions, having it sent back, having to proofread it, having to write it all out. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. it's, it's become a matter of convenience to to do this. And I feel fortunate. I've interviewed some some really nice big names in the industry, some that are with us still, some that are not. And I don't think I would have ever had the opportunity to interview some of these people were it not for the podcast. So, you know, I incorporated my love of horror and interviewing, and then I added in, you know, DVD, Blu-ray reviews. And then for those that know me, you know this, I'm a huge death metal, black metal kind of guy. And I have a lot of contacts in that industry as well. Well, a lot of the companies will used to send, and they still do, they send me digital copies of all the new metal albums coming out. So... I, you know, I have permission to use the music on my podcast as long as I don't charge anyone to listen to them. So it was great promotion for the bands, as well as adding another element to the show, you know, horror interviews, movie reviews, death and black metal music. I mean, it was the perfect fit. Yeah, you know, so my I kind of modeled this after your podcast and the and the fact of uh having different segments in the actual show i mean this one we're kind of going differently because this is my new year's and usually uh october november december each of those um you know all the holidays like i tend to uh discard the uh segments and just do a straight out um you know interview and have fun with it but during the normal year we do this you know the segments and stuff which i thought was fantastic and that's kind of, like i said that's kind of how i modeled mine after because most of the podcasts out there right now are specifically like review podcasts or or interview podcasts but they don't have a mixture of the different elements and i wish 
unfortunately i'm not a, a big metal guy and but i wish i i wish i was because i could you know it'd be nice to have some kind of music to play on here as well like kind of like yours but um you know which uh, so I, I am excited to hear that you are going to come back at some point so i can uh listen to some more of your great uh reviews and, <laughs> and uh you know all that stuff but but like I said, I kind of modeled this after you, um, you know, it, it, you were the inspiration for this. And I found that, like I said, some of these people that do these other podcasts that are uh, strictly inter, uh, interview or strictly, you know, reviews, that they don't get as much of a following. And not saying my podcast has a huge following. I, as far as I know, we probably got about 20 listeners. But um, <laughs> It'll but grow, man. But it will grow. Well, but they are, are, you know, they listen to every single episode and stuff. So I appreciate anybody who's listening to this uh, for any of those who are the actual fans. Uh, but I, but I did want to go back to to something else that I had touched on, um, and I had mentioned, you know, about not being an ogre and, and taking the contrary viewpoint. You know, part of part of that to me is important as a journalist. Like I said before, you got to be able to talk about both sides of an argument if you're going to have an intelligent discussion about anything. And I think where people have this misconception about me is, especially at the the site that shall not be named, you know, the, the, the biggest problem with that site was there were, there's a lot of talented people there. I will never sit there and say that there aren't talented people or that the person behind the site doesn't have the right idea. The problem became that, you know, at one point at the match, if you remember, we had 42 writers at that website. Okay. The problem with that was, is 38 of the 42 people, they would all have the same opinion. So they would all write the same article. The concept behind the dead man to a sense was I'm, I'm playing the devil's advocate. And because in society today, people are so afraid to talk about opposing viewpoints, people, people will agree with the other side and, you know, and, and they won't bring up the controversial side or the side that has questions. My job, as I saw it, was I will take the viewpoint of the side that nobody wants to talk about, not necessarily because I believe in it, but because being a journalist, I'm in a position to hear the questions that people are afraid to ask in public. That's the one good thing about social media is I'll have people like, well, why is it this way? Or why is it that way? Or why are we supposed to feel this way? And I joke because, you know, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. And I made the joke back then, you know, CM Punk said he was the voice of the voiceless. And a lot of times I felt like I was the voice of the voiceless. Like I said, Eric Bischoff made a book called Controversy Creates Cash. Okay. If we all agreed and we all kept the same talking points, we wouldn't find out about anything. Okay. Exactly. We, we'd never get to the bottom of anything. And I felt like my job was to stir the pot. You, you know, if you know me as a real person in real life, you know, I'm not a monster. You know this. Oh, yeah. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a sexist. I'm not a misogynist. I'm not any of these things. But I don't feel like there's anything wrong with asking the questions, because if you don't ask the questions, you'll never get the answers. You'll never come to a medium ground. And, I, you know, that's what I did a lot of, especially when I went over to the other site where you and I met. I felt like 
because they dis they displayed themselves as a site of diverse opinion, that it would be okay. And in the beginning, it was, you know. And then again, being one of the uh, four of the thirty-eight who would write the opposing opinion, one of the things that I would tell new writers is you have to be patient. It's not going to come to you from day one. When I came over to that other site, I already had 15 years writing experience. I'd already been published in magazines numerous times. I'd written for numerous websites. I'd already done over 100 podcast episodes. The reason I was successful and the reason that I am still successful is because I'm not afraid to state my opinion. If I see a wrong, I'll call the wrong out. But I don't feel like I need to cover the same thing that everyone else is. An example of that would be something like the Harvey Weinstein situation. And while I agree, Harvey Weinstein was a monster and the things that he did were terrible. OK, but when 38 other people on the website are writing that article, I don't need to write that article. You've already got 38 people writing that article. Now, where it would be divisive is that was a man in Hollywood abusing his power. OK, everyone's calling him out. I don't need to. But believing in equality, I believe that if it's wrong that a man does it, well, guess what? It's wrong if a woman does it, too. Well, people would get mad because my article would cover the women in the industry who were doing wrong. And people found that highly offensive. Well, why is it offensive? If it's just if it's a, such a heinous thing when a man does it, it's as equally heinous when a woman does it. But you don't see people writing the articles about the women who are doing the bad thing. So that got me labeled as a misogynist just because. Oh, he didn't jump on the Harvey, uh, Harvey Weinstein bandwagon, but he's ragging on women. Well, you know, and then they make every excuse for the woman in the industry who committed the same crime. And it's like, well, no, you can't make excuses for one, but it'd be okay for the other. I can't stand hypocrisy in journalism. I can't stand it. And you know, that's like I said, that partially led to my, my semi-retirement because it was like, is it still worth doing this? And after three years of being away, the answer is yes, I'm coming back. For those of you that don't like it, I don't care that you don't like it. You don't have to read my work. You don't have to listen to my podcast. But you just know that I get the satisfaction out of knowing it pisses you off that I'm talking about the things that you don't want me to talk about just because it's not your talking point. Equality, man, you got, you got to love it or leave it. If you want equality, then eat it when it comes back to your side. It's just the way yeah, that it know, is. It, it comes to, uh, goes to, um, uh, you know, personal beliefs, which is funny because my favorite horror movie of all time is in the mouth of madness. You know, that's, it's nothing of that entire film is about personal belief. And so, you know, you being controversial, taking the opposite side is when you challenge somebody's personal belief, you're going to be the bad guy, regardless of if you're taking <laughs> a, a different side for a different reason, you know, because you're not doing these things to be an asshole or, or to mm -hmm. cause these 
you know, to cause these fights or cause people to, you know, get pissed off or anything. You're just trying to do what's right. And, and, but it all comes down to personal belief. And so some people, you know, they don't like to hear what you have to say, you know, not you specifically, but it could be any, you know, any journalist, right. you know, and, and so, you know, that's the thing is it's personal belief. And, you know, it's when you challenge somebody's personal belief there, I, that's why I always say to me in the mouth madness is the greatest horror film ever made, because that is the one thing on this earth that when you challenge somebody's personal belief, that is what causes arguments and fights, you know? And, and so I like I say, I commend you for taking the stance of, you know, the opposite side and doing stuff like that because nobody else really is, is, you know, up to doing those type of things. Now I'm not in the same type of journalist journalism as you are. I'm more mainly just, you know, horror movies and reviews and junk. I don't really do a lot of the other stuff. I, you know, I do uh, film festival reviews or horror movie reviews. That's about really as much as I do journalistic wise sure. and this podcast, you know, but I, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, it's all, it's all personal belief. And when you, when you really, you know, when you, when you say something that somebody's not, you know, on board with, then that just, it's their personal belief that, you know, it, you're, you're basically, you know, you're trying to kill what they believe. And so they just have to, you know, be enraged well, it's, about it's like, it. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. And, you know, this was, this was always a popular thing at the other site. You know, it was always, well, women don't get the chance and women this and women that. And I'm like, we live in a day and age now that if women were truly discriminated against against like, you know, discriminated against like that, it would be all over the front page of the newspaper. I remember when Get Out came out. OK, Jordan Peele. I didn't like the movie. I didn't like the message. Had nothing to do with Jordan Peele. I think Jordan Peele's funny. I loved him on his comedy show. I think the man has talent. I just think that his horror film, that first one, it just didn't resonate. And that's okay. I get it. There are going to be films that I don't care for. And it was funny. Um, I got so much backlash. Oh, you're racist because you didn't like Get Out. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with race. I just didn't think it was a good horror movie. I felt the same way about the new Candyman movie. I felt like they ruined the series and, you know, I called it out, but it had nothing to do with the director's skin color. It had nothing to do with their ethnicity, it had nothing to do with that. It just wasn't a good movie, in my opinion. And it's so funny how people fly off. Well, you're bigoted, you're racist because you didn't like it. Well, no, you know, people talk about my, you know, me appreciating old, older horror films. Well, Women were treated so badly and misogynistic and this and that. And I'm like, okay, but we seem to forget that in 95% of all horror films, who's the hero at the end? A woman. Who kills the monster? The woman. Final Who survives girl. the traumatic deal? The woman. So the woman is, is the hero in all of these films. And by the end of the film, you know, they're this powerful, enlightened person you know, but but I'm supposed to hate these old movies because, well, there was nudity and they had to do this and they were tormented. Well, it's a horror film. I think people sometimes forget that what we are watching is entertainment. Right. No one is saying go out and abuse women. No one is saying go out and kill women, go out and rape women. You can enjoy entertainment for any. Are we complaining when Jason kills a guy? Well, why not? He's killing a dude. 
but we complain when a woman is killed. Just like the controversy we had with the new Halloween. Oh my God, Michael Myers is transfer or is uh, homophobic because he yeah. killed a gay couple oh. in the house. And I'm like, are you serious? If anything, people should be happy. That gay couple got treated equally. Michael yeah. Myers treated that gay couple the same as he treated treated every straight couple, every woman he's run into, every man he's run into, every white person, every black person. Guess what? He treated them equally. And now we're going to bitch that he's homophobic because he kills a gay couple. People are taking things way too literally in this industry. And those are the things that I will call out because it's stupid. So what was yeah. what, what was Michael Bonner supposed to do to the gay couple that was in his old house? Was he supposed to throw a tea party? Were they supposed to go dancing? Were they supposed to go to the movies? What? How did you want them treated? That, And then at that point, you make the argument, well, now they're getting special treatment. Well, you don't want special treatment. You want to be treated equally, right? There you go. You can't win no matter what you do. And again, that's why I'm coming back. At this point, you can't win no matter what you do. But I'm not going to let that other side shut my voice down because, oh, we don't like what he's saying. It hurts my feelings. I'm here to talk about the genre that I love. If my words upset you enough, that obviously means that I struck a chord in you. That means there is something that I have said that makes you want to talk about what I said. That's what a journalist does. I'm here to make you think. I'm here to make you talk. Talking is how we fix things, but people can't, people can't get that. They don't understand that. Not, not all people, but a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are, there are some that understand, but not as many as there should be. <laughs> Just get silly. Sometimes the things that we really sit down and argue about are the most trivial things. I was I was going to ask you about the uh, Candyman movie here in a little while when we get to some of the movies that are uh, I wanted to ask you about some of the movies that came out this year what you what sure and stuff but so we'll get to that in a minute but you know I kind of I I kind of tend to agree with you on mo on most of that so so talking about your podcast um you know being so controversial and all that and everything um but you have had a lot of really cool uh, interviews on there so I wanted to ask you what some of your favorite interviews were that you've uh, of people that you've you know had on this on your show. <laughs> Two of my, well, three of my all-time favorite interviews, and, and like you said, I've had some, I've had some good people on. Um, oh, you've had I some got amazing do, people on there. I got to do, I believe, and I've, I've researched this, and if I'm, if I'm wrong, anyone is, is free to correct me on this. But I did, I believe, the last ever podcast interview with Herschel Gordon Lewis before he passed away. Yep. I did one, not the last, but one of the last interviews with Larry Cohen before he passed away. Um, I've had Joe Bob Briggs on. Uh, I had Tyler Maine and his wife, Renee Gearlings, on back when uh, they did a film after he did the Halloween movies with Rob Zombie. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've had uh, three of the four Cenobites from Hellraiser on, on my podcast. It's very humbling to talk to these people, but at the same time, you find out they're everyday real people just like you and I are. And that's the most amazing part about doing this. 
is, you know, it's, it's very easy to get starstruck sometimes. And when you can meet somebody that you can talk to and learn about your, your favorite genre, it's an amazing thing. But yeah, those, those are probably three of my favorites. I always enjoyed the roundtable discussions I had when you came on. We always took great subjects in the genre and talked about them. Yeah, which I, you know, I, I would be up for doing some of that again. I mean, th- my show is kind of based more on just, you just, know, you know. Uh, inter- interviews and stuff. But Oh, trust me, you'll be on my show when it comes back. There's, you don't even need to worry about that. That's coming. Awesome. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait, man. I, I, you know, like I, I've always been there for you, you know, with the podcast and stuff. Like I said, I'm always there anytime you want. You, you know, when, when you do come back, I'm there. When you were, when you came back the second time, I, you know, I was there for anything too. So I'm always up for any of that. As we're getting uh, kind of towards the end here, I kind of just wanted to ask you about sure. some of your favorite stuff from this year and, and um, things like that. So what are some of your favorite horror movies, not just from this year, but in general, like what are some of your, fa- this is something I, you know, I, I always like to uh, get people to talk about some of their, you know, their favorites that they like to watch and stuff. So what are some of your like really favorites that you tend to watch, you know, here and there, you know, oh. things that you've watched multiple times. And what, so what are some, you know, cause like me, for me, it's like in the mouth of madness. I've watched so many times. I basically know it by heart. Same with the original Halloween um, you know, Child's Play. I mean, some of those ones that uh, the Horror Express, um, you know, some of those for me. So what are some of the ones for you that really stick out that, you know, you've always uh, held close and that films that you love? Sure. Um, Lucio Fulci's The Beyond and Zombie are always two of my all time favorites. Suspiria, the original Suspiria by Dario Argento. The new one, eh, not so much. Friday the 13th, any of the Friday the 13th movies for sure. Big fan of a lot of extreme cinema. I'm a big fan of the uh, the original guinea pig series that uh, Unearthed oh, Films yeah. released. Uh, Necromantic. You know, a lot of times some of those more extreme films have a deeper context. So it's stuff like that that I, I really enjoy. I'm a huge fan. In, if I had to stick my hand on a particular subgenre, you know, zombie films in particular stuff from um, the late seventies, early eighties is pretty much my thing. There's not much I don't like. Um, I don't like twilight because vampires shouldn't sparkle, but (laughs) I mean, I love Rob zombies work, even though a lot of people hate Rob zombie, even though I still stand by my statement that in the future, the day will come when everyone will turn around and talk about what a great cult film director he is. I'm with you on that, man. I mean, I'm not a fan of his, as you know, you, you, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of his at all, but I actually agree with you on that. Um, you know, cause he is a certain type of director for certain type of people. So I, I, I think, you know, with enough, with enough, when enough time passes, people will actually appreciate what he's put out. And some of the if he, he if he knocks this monsters movie out of the park, just watch. Just watch. Critical critical review of him will change. No one talk about what a genius he is. I'm telling you, it's it's going to happen. Anything else that sticks out to you? Any other like what? Uh, what do you remember? What the first horror film you ever watched was? <sighs> the or first that... one that the first one that really really sticks in my mind, and I guess I was about six or seven years old. My uncle had a VHS copy of John Carpenter's The Thing. 
And the reason that that movie, I mean, shit, six-year-old should have been watching that movie anyway, but <laughs> not at all. the thing that stuck out to me about that was he owned a husky. So when that scene comes in the kennel where the alien overtakes the huskies and is transforming, that's what hooked me. That, that was it. I mean, besides, you know, besides the thing on the table, that's my favorite scene is the dog scene with the, you know, it just, that it just looks so crazy. That's some great special effects on that. You know, and then from there, as a kid growing up, I lived in upstate New York. So where I lived, a lot of the campgrounds looked just like Camp Crystal Lake. So, nice. you know, the Friday the 13th, that's why I think the Friday the 13th movies hold such a big place in my heart is because I grew up in areas that look like that. Have you ever seen the uh, Camp Blood movies? Uh, I can't know. I don't think that I have. I haven't either, but uh, it's basically, you know, because originally Friday 13th is supposed to be called, you know, they nickname it Camp Blood. So, right. um, you know, some indie filmmakers decided to make a Camp Blood series and there's like eight of those films. But there's some of those, suppose, I, I haven't seen not one, but I I have plenty of friends who've seen them all, and they're supposedly some of the worst horror films you can ever find. But um, Which means it would actually be fun know. to sit down and watch all of them. Yeah, yeah, that's what my buddy, uh, my normal co-host on this show, uh, John Schatzer, he's not with me today just because, um, you know, he, he's got other plans and stuff. And I kind of wanted this to be, a you know, more of an intimate setting with just me and you since we're, you know, we're old friends and stuff. But, right. um, you know, that's kind of you know, what, what he thinks as well. So I want to say who went, didn't David Sterling make those films or was the producer on those films? I know of the films. I just, there was a sale with a box. Uh, there's a bunch of, of different people. And I know uh, the only one I know for a fact that they, cause uh, the, my co-host has mentioned uh, that's in the series is I guess uh, Dustin Ferguson has uh, directed one or two of them. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I know if you know who he is, he's big time, you know, indie, he pushes out stuff left and right. That guy's got so many movies coming out, you know? Hey, at least someone out there is getting the work. I can't hate on them for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people do because, you know, people with the quantity versus quality and all that. But I think, hey, man, do whatever you're doing, and I respect that. That's what I was saying to to you earlier before we uh, actually started recording was, you know, some people have, uh, you know, told me that the, I've inspired them. And, and so, you know, it's like, just do what you want to do, man. It, whatever you do, do it. If you love it, do it. I, you know, if he wants to make all these movies, whether people think they're good or not, hey, whatever you would like to do, I'm I'm all for that. Anybody, I, I'm I'm, you know, I'm on the side of anybody who likes to chase their dreams and do what they want to do. So. Exactly. Those are the kinds of people that I'll look at and go. So, how many movies have you made? How many articles yeah. have you published? How many podcasts have oh, you yeah. done? All right then. I'm with you, dude. He can make 100 movies a year, no matter what the quality is. And I respect the man because he's at least out there doing it. Whereas most people sit there and just talk about it. Yeah, he gets ragged on a bunch for a bunch of his movies, which I can't personally say one way or the other because I haven't seen any. Um, I do want to check them out, though, just so I have seen some of his work and stuff. But, I mean, uh, I know a lot of people that aren't aren't big fans of his. But, you know, like I said, I'm just – I'm – I'm cool with anybody chasing their own dreams and doing what they want to do. I don't care whether it's good or bad or whatever you're doing. You know, you can make a hundred bad movies, but if you're enjoying making movies, then make them, you know? Exactly. So. You're a filmmaker. No one can ever take that away from you. Yeah. Cause whether people like his stuff or not, he's got movies out. How many do they have out? I mean, you know, exactly. that's kind of one of the reasons, not him necessarily, but kind of seeing, you know, cause I've been invited to a, some film festivals and stuff and I've been, I've been attending stuff for the, you know, 
uh, past couple of years. Cause as you know, you might, people barely have caught on to me becoming a name kind of this year, you know, and stuff, but they don't realize that this has been years. I mean, I've been doing this for almost six, seven years myself now, you know, in the, yep. in the community trying trying to work up my way up the ladder and do these things. That's why now I, I do have a podcast. I'm getting invited to these things because I chased my dreams and I busted my butt for all these years, you know, but um, you know, and so seeing some of these films at these film festivals, you know, not saying they're bad or anything, because I understand the talent it takes to put together even the crappiest of films. Um, but, you know, seeing some of these made me think, hey, man, I, I should go make what I want to make. And I want to see my stuff up on the screen, you know. So that's why exactly. I kind of chased my dream, went and shot my own short film. And whether people like it, like I said, it's a bit of a slow burn. Nothing really happens. So some people probably aren't going to like it and they're going to say it sucks. But I'm just doing it because that's what I want to do. And when we went and filmed, man, that was the funnest time I've had in, a, in you know, years is on a, filming on a set, you know, uh, set dressing and costumes and everything, man. It's just it's so much fun lighting and just doing everything, you know. And uh, the guys I worked with um, are both brand new to the industry as well and haven't done anything. But, you know, one of them was my brother. But they had such a blast, too. They were just like, yeah, man, you know, this that was one of the funnest things I've ever done. You know, it crappy or not you know however people are gonna uh, take in my film you know there was a lot of uh that you know a lot of effort and and passion that went into it you know whether you like it or not so i understand it's so even much the more work it's so much more yeah, work even camp blood movies even you know it's, it's it's i mean you know editing and shooting and just doing everything in general it, i mean it's it's a ton of work and people don't understand that so they like to say oh this was the crappiest movie all oh, this character sucked this actor sucked hey man <laughs> have you tried it because it, you know it's right for everybody and it's tough it is tough so so you were gonna i know you were gonna ask me what was there any movie from this year that i really like um yeah that was actually my next question was there any uh you know especially during the holidays have you saw uh because I don't know if you saw Black Friday, that new one that came out. I loved that. Yeah. Um, now, I've seen you it know, get some reviews, but, you know, with Bruce Campbell and Devin Saw and Michael Job White. No, I did not see that. Now, one that I rented f- from Redbox, <laughs> and I gave someone a lot of crap about the movie, but it was actually pretty decent, was The Unholy. Of course, that's got... Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan from The Walking Dead. It was it was just interesting to see him in a little bit more of a compassionate role than than what we're used to seeing him as because we're so used to seeing him as Negan. Not a fan of the new Halloween at all. I mean, well, I'm I just, with you. I, I, I'm with you, brother. That was a travesty right there. <laughs> they, you know, people rag on Rob Zombie's versions, but they love this, and I'm like, are you guys kidding me? Really? Well. They- Honestly, that was my uh, uh, answer to a couple people. Was I, I was like, man, it was so bad. Even the Rob Zombie movies, and my, and you know how I feel about those. Yeah. I, I, and I was like, I would rather watch those than that Halloween Kills. But and that's me. That's coming from what probably the biggest Michael Myers fan you can find. So. You know, and then you know the the other big one that everyone talked about was the new Candyman, and. You know, the original story by Clive Barker dealt more with classism than it did with racism. It was changed when it came over here to, uh, to be made as a movie. But, you know, race did play a, a large part in the original, and, and I understand that. But what really turned – I mean, a couple of things that really turned me off about the new Candyman is, is for one, what, we see Tony Todd for what, maybe a minute's worth of screen time? That was the it's biggest no-no like for 10 one. seconds. 
Yeah, like 10 seconds of screen time. But, you know, the, the whole plot element really bothered me. And I understand modern audiences, all these things. I felt like the movie was a race, was a race baiting movie. I felt like a lot I of totally things agree. they did. You know, if it was, I hate to say this because I, oh, it's going to be a controversial statement, but I'm going to say it. The, the new Candyman was basically the Jesse Smollett story. And the reason that I say that is Jesse basically lied about a hate crime to draw attention to himself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the new Candyman did the same thing. People talk about, oh, the evils of the white man. That's why the Candyman is here and this and that. Well, I'm not saying that if you watch the first movie and you know his backstory, yes. White people did something very bad to him. And that's what led to the situation of the Candyman being invented. The Uh part that people don't want to talk about in this new movie is, just like the Jesse Smollett situation, the character in Candyman that sets all of this stuff in motion is another black man who commits a crime against the black community and pins it on the white police officers at the end. When they shoot the character. So all of a sudden, all of it's the bad white people that made something. It was a race bait movie. They completely took something that could have been a beautiful reimagining or a new beginning for such an iconic character and turned it into a political talking point that took away from the movie. And and it's sad because I really wanted to love it. I really did. But they did everything they could to turn it into white people bad. Yeah, they I kind of had the, I kind of have the same feeling, I, and that's why I wanted to ask you about this when you had mentioned it earlier, um, you know, in this interview. But I wanted to, um, you know, touch on that it was because I kind of feel the same way. Whereas, yeah, we get. I mean, if you watch the second Candyman, you know, it shows what happened, how he slept with the white lady, and you know, yeah. the white. The white guys got mad. They cut off his hand, tied him to a tree stump, cut off his hand, smeared the honey on him. The bees came and killed him. You know, we see all that. We know all that. We get all that. This new film takes it like, you know, makes it more racial and and racist. And, and, you know, it's like we get that. That's not what we're here for when we're watching Candyman. We're here for the cool kills and fun stuff that's coming. And we understand all that. But that's but don't try to make Candyman a political statement. It's, you know, it's a horror movie, a slasher. And. And for those who know me, I'm the bit one of the biggest slasher. Like that's my favorite subgenre in horror. Sure. You know, monsters and slashers because they kind of go hand in hand. But you know, slashers I I love. I mean, I just adore. And yeah, I kind of thought it took it a little over the top this time. And you know, I I do I did re- I have to say I did really enjoy the Candyman. I did like it. I see where they're going with it, and I enjoyed that. But I didn't enjoy you know making it such a racial movie. Because we already know all that stuff. We've already seen all that in the previous three films. We know about that type, you know, those type of things. Which is, you know, because people don't realize in those three movies, each of the women that are in it are all white women because he fell in love with the white woman to begin with. And that's what started the whole thing anyways. I just, um, I just yeah. like I said, it, it, the irony of it was is that, you know, one of the, the black characters basically frames another black man. Yeah. The cops show oh, yeah. up to deal with the situation because of the situation. They shoot him. And then he points to that as saying, this is why the Candyman exists, because of the evils of white people. But nobody walked out of that theater talking about, wait a minute, a black man set up another black man to even set up this situation. 
So it was yeah. like creating a hate crime because there aren't enough real hate crimes to make it a justified thing. And it's just like the Jesse Smollett situation. But nobody – either nobody came out of the theater talking about it or nobody else was brave enough to make that statement that that's what that movie was. Switching uh, switching here. So uh, did you happen to check out the Chucky TV show at all? Um, I caught parts of it. Um, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I don't know how big of a fan you are. Just because, you know, like this year we had Michael Myers return. We've had um, Candyman return. We've had Chucky return. We're getting, uh, you know, Ghostfaces returning. So we're getting all these, you know... Um, you know, I I know what you did last summer. TV show just came out. You know what I mean. If so we're Jason getting all these. Just return, please. <laughs> well, you know. Case. Yeah, well, you know, you know how that's going right now. <laughs> um, but um, as but far yeah, as so. Chucky TV series, I was I'm a huge fan of the of the Chucky movies. I feel like the TV shows forcing agenda just a little bit. I think they. I have no problem with representation, you know, because it was established in the films that his son or daughter, have whichever way you want to label yeah, him, I'm not sure what the right way to label him is, or yeah. label that that character is. I feel like, though, that they're kind of, they're forcing it just a little bit in the show. Nothing wrong with having trans, gay, or lesbian characters on the show, but I would be careful not to... It, that's not the focal point of the series. But what's funny is, is when you read articles about season one, that's all anyone's talking about is, oh, it's so inclusive. It's this, it's that. That's not what the series is about. That's not what Chucky is about. No, it, it's kind of a little bit about it, but not necessarily. That's not the main draw of it. I mean, because we know that uh, Don Mancini is gay, and he's and for people that don't know, he's written all the movies and the entire show. Mm -hmm. It's all him. He he even directed uh, Seed, uh, Curse, and Cult of Chucky, the last three films. And, and like so I said, we, I think it's I think it's great that they have have gay characters, lesbian characters, trans characters. That's a great thing. I'm all for the inclusion. All I'm saying is is that I think they need to be careful. To not make it the focal point of the show. Oh yeah. Oh, it yeah. should not be a. You know, I've said this about film. I've said this about a lot of things. You know, it should not be a great gay horror film. It should not be a great gay lesbian film or trans film. It should be a great horror film that happens to have gay, lesbian, transsexual, cisgendered, whatever gender the person may be. But I don't yeah. feel like the sexuality should be the focal point of the show. It'll be interesting to see what they do in season two. Yeah, I can't wait, man. It's already been greenlighted, and I'm excited because, I mean, if anybody that doesn't know, um, first the first horror film I ever saw was Horror Express. But the real first ever one with blood and guts that I saw was Child's Play. And so mm -hmm. that's always... And then for me, of course, the first uh, horror film I ever watched in the theater, which I wasn't supposed to, but my mom let me and uh, being a friend of mine and go by ourselves was Child's Play 2. So for me, Child's Play, well, <laughs> that's like my basically my favorite slashers are Michael Myers and then Chucky. And so I, I'm a huge Chucky fan. But uh, so, so I like to get see what people's opinions are about it. But I do want to say this, and this is spoilers, and I'm giving you a chance for anybody who's listening to pause it or fast forward through this so you don't hear this. And. Sorry if I spoil this for you, Mike, but I wanted to say, like, I think 
if you haven't seen this this show, you definitely need to check it out because the second to last episode offers one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I'm going to say it real quick here. Um, so if you, if you don't like it, fast forward or pause it. I'm giving you a big chance to do that. So, however, there there at one point you see 72 Chuckies alive and talking all at once because he okay. has created an army, which was the whole point of Cult of Chucky, which Don Mancini said leads into the show. So he's creating his own cult, and they're all him because he can now split his soul and go into any original good guy doll that exists. It has to be one of the original ones. It can't be, you know, any newer ones. It has to be one of the originals. But, but yeah, dude, to see that, to me, was the greatest piece of cinema I've ever seen because to see that many of them at once, because like I was having a conversation with my brother, and I was like, man, think of any of these other slashers. He, he would literally kill any of them because there's that many of him. So Michael Myers would have no chance. Jason would have no chance, you know? Uh, you know what I mean? He would just well, what I think, what I think is interesting, right. um, I read an article about the upcoming season two, and what I found interesting was is that Chucky is, each one of these dolls is like a different part of his personality, so they don't uh-huh. all act the same. No, they don't. When they're talking and you see them talking, they start asking questions. Different ones ask different questions and stuff. Oh, man, it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you know, being a huge horror fan and being that's my second favorite slasher and some of the first things I've ever, you know, first horror films I ever saw. I I mean, it just it blew me away, man. Like I literally was like, for me, this was the greatest year in horror because I got to see that. So, you know, no, I I feel you. But I did want to ask you about some of the other ones. So, like, are you excited for the new Scream 5 Ghostface? I mean, it looks all right, you know. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's getting hard. You know, I'm a little nervous about it because you're bringing back characters from the original series. And I'm hesitant because you look at what they did with some of the characters they brought back in Halloween Kills. You know, yeah. are we, are, yeah. It's hard to say. And it's like, I think the difference is, especially with Scream, Scream was a popular series. I remember going and seeing them all originally in the theaters when they came out. So, you know, I I followed the Scream franchise from the beginning. I just don't feel, especially because I guess part of it is so many different people have been Ghostface. He doesn't have, that character doesn't have the same lineage as a Freddy, a Jason, a Leatherface, a Michael Myers, a Pinhead, the Leprechaun, you know, Chucky. Those characters have a lineage you can trace all the way back. They're terrifying because it's the same one coming back. With Ghostface, what, you've had three, four, what, now you're going to have five different killers. So well, you've I, had see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different killers already in Ghostface in just the four movies. So so that, that's what I'm saying is, is, is uh, it'll be fun to watch. I will definitely see it. Um, I don't have the same anticipation for it as I do, let's say, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre that's getting ready to come out. Yeah. You know, I hope Which, it yeah. does well. I want it to succeed. I want it to do well. It's going to be interesting without Wes Craven's influence to see where it goes. Yep. You know, is this going to be the end of Scream? Or, you know, are we looking at Scream 6 here in, in another year or two? Well, it's you know, they originally They originally planned to do 4, 5, and 6, but then uh, 4 didn't do so hot in the theaters. And then, of course, Craven died a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with this being that he isn't alive and he has no influence in the show and, you know, in the movie anymore. So with that series. Like I said, I'm all 
I'm all for it. I hope it does well. I hope it's a commercial success. I hope they give us something that we haven't seen. I, it's getting hard, you know, starting to get old here. You know, it's it's hard. It's hard to surprise me anymore. It's hard to shock twist me anymore. You know, as big of a fan as the Saw movies as I am, Spiral was was a disappointment. I, honestly, for me, that was one of the worst films I've ever seen. But, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted so bad for that movie to be good. Oh, yeah, I, I was actually looking forward to it, too. But then, yeah, I was disappointed. You know, and, I, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's it's just, I think some filmmakers are afraid to offend anyone anymore. And any true, real, shocking things that we're going to see are getting watered down because they don't want to offend anybody. You know, and yeah, I man. hope that, I hope Scream does not go that way. I hope they do something that just knocks my socks off. I mean, think nowadays, man, some of these movies that we, you know, we adore as horror fans are some of these movies could not be made nowadays. I mean, a majority of them, to be honest, a lot of 70s, 80s, you know, stuff are so bad. Like, I mean, Cannibal Holocaust would never make it nowadays, you know, necromantic, <laughs> necromantic would people would shit themselves, you know, I mean, <laughs> no, but, I, mean I love you. those, you know, I love those films because, you know, as a as a horror enthusiast, you know, you tend to like, you know, like you said, you have a favorite subgenre, so do I. It's like, because, you know, we watch all horror. We don't just watch one or the other. So we watch everything. And, you know, you see some of these things. And, yeah, it's just, it's funny the stuff nowadays that, that people can't get away with that, you know, thank God we still have those movies from back in those days because we couldn't watch anything like that nowadays. I mean, they don't make, I mean, if you're calling Candyman a scary movie nowadays, I mean, it's, it wasn't really scary at all. You know what I mean? There's No, not at all. It's not, it's know, not a, a horrifying movie to me in any aspect, but, you know. No, I'm with you, you know, and, and you know, that, that brings in, you know, uh, if I can give my one PSA announcement. People keep buying physical media. You know, we talk about these movies, these older movies that don't, would not get made today. We need to keep an eye on it because there are companies out there, <clears throat> Disney, who are altering their old films. Oh, yeah. Changing things. You know, um, Lilo and Stitch has been edited. E.T. has been edited. All of these films have been edited. And that's the biggest argument for owning actual Blu-rays and DVDs. Everyone seems to like to stream or or digitally download these things. It's going to come a point in time where a lot of these movies are going to get scrubbed. And the younger generations are not going to know that's not how those movies originally were. So continue to support physical media because that's the only way where you're going to be able to get to see some of these classics in their entirety. And some of these aren't going to ever be streamed again, you know, or, or release some of the, some of these certain films, like, you know, at least I don't think so, but um, I just bought a copy or I didn't buy, but I got it for Christmas. I got a copy of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, campfire tales with James Marsden and Amy smart. Mm-hmm. And it's an old, you know, it's from, uh, I think uh, 97, I think it is. And, you know, it's a fantastic film, but it's not streaming anywhere. Uh, you can buy it, but copies of it that, I mean, I luckily, I we found a cheaper copy of it, and it's used. I mean, because you can only find it pretty much used. I mean, there is no new DVDs of it. But, I mean, I was looking at it, and, like, even used copies of it are, like, 70 bucks, you know, 70 bucks to get that. And it's like, wow, man, who's going to spend $70 on a movie that 
nobody's even seen or doesn't you know don't really know about but i mean i had to add it to my collection because like you said some of these things are going to be obsolete at some point and i don't want you know i want to be able to you know watch them which is a funny thing too because like a lot of streaming doesn't have um half of these films on there they'll have like say you know like for the wrong turn turn series they'll have parts one and two but they won't have three and four or five and then they'll have six or something you know and so it's like you have to unless you actually have these physical dvds this actual physical media you know you're kind of shit out of luck trying to find out how to watch you know place to watch well it. like i said you know you might have to go to three different streaming services real just thing. to find the whole series you know so you know and i'm not even worried about it from that i'm worried about it from the censorship standpoint you know oh no i totally get you but I, i'm just saying if you don't buy those you know the stuff that's out there then you know what i mean the it's all gonna go by the wayside anyway so when the day comes that the emp hits and we can't uh communicate digitally yeah. anymore everyone's gonna be wishing they still had their vcrs and their blu-ray and dvd players oh yeah yeah i'm a big physical media person you know me i have you know i have a huge collection that grows every year so but um, so yeah I'm, about... I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that you know that's just, that's just the one thing that i wish it's sad to walk into an fye or a best buy and they only have an eight foot section of movies i remember back in the day i could spend all day at a suncoast i could spend all day at a sam goody or an fye or a best buy you know yeah. you can't you can't do that anymore <laughs> i miss i miss blockbuster you know being able to just cruise through for a couple hours and try to find something cool you know but <laughs> i'm with you so so as we're wrapping it up here, I want to ask you. So, what are some of your? Uh, I don't know if I if I if I mentioned this part already or not, but what are some of your actual favorite uh, horror films that you saw this year? Is there anything that stuck out to you this year? Well, like I said, The Unholy was really the only one that I okay. that I got really any enjoyment out of. I mean, I've been watching a lot of the old stuff, getting ready to come back to the podcast again. It's <clears throat> I like to cover a little bit more of the controversial titles and there's really just nothing out there right now that's that's jumping out at me everyone's writing about the new halloween everyone's writing about the new Candyman and all this and i just i don't want to cover the same stuff that everyone's covering i'd rather go back and talk about some of these controversial titles so the the younger generation knows that these movies exist this is the basis for what you're watching today yeah uh one of my favorite films, or basically my favorite film this year, which, you know, um, I'm going to do in an article here for uh, Blazing Minds, and I already submitted my uh, my submission to uh, Pop Horror when they do their list, it'll be on there, but um, it's a movie called um, Monstrous Dis- uh, Disunion, and it's um, it's by some guys in the UK, Trash Arts, uh, Sam Mason Bell is the director, or not, uh, he, he's the guy that owns Trash Arts, sorry, uh, Jackson Bachelor is the director of that film, um, but they all work together. Um, but it's a political film about Brexit, and but it's a monster Ooh. film, political film about Brexit, uh, where people start turning into these pig monsters. It's kind of like a Twilight Zone, and almost like a Twilight Zone episode. But, and that was my favorite thing I've seen this year, um, you know. And it deals with political, you know, which I, I'm not usually one for that. But I thought the way they had, they had uh, attempted to, you know, to approach that specific, you know, Brexit, um, in that film was fantastic and. You know, they kind of poke a little fun at it and stuff, but, but I'll yeah, have so, to check that out. Yeah, there's been a couple for me this year that I mean, I don't want to say them all here because they'll be on my list and I don't want to spoil it. But there's been a couple. Uh, there's definitely one uh, with the best acting I've seen this year. Um, it's called, and the fu- funny thing is, the movie is called Acting, and it's by Trash Arts as well. 
Um, but the actress in it, um, Annabella Rich, uh, did a phenomenal job, and she's won uh, Best Actress, uh, I think, like seven times in the, from film festivals this year for it. And I uh, happen to be a, a producer of it, so I'm a little biased on that. But um, but I'll give you one from this year that was good: Army of the Dead. Oh really? You like you like that? I wasn't really a fan. I mean, I like Batista and all, but I don't know. I like well, the way the zombies looked, but I thought it was a little drawn out. I'm I'm a sucker for zombie movies, though, so I mean, I think that might have had just a little bit to do with it. It didn't hurt that we had Batista in it, being a big pro wrestling fan. So yeah, and being that he's actually one of the better actors of the pro wrestlers, so <laughs> I still say that the Undertaker needs to do a horror movie. He's not the Miz. He's, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, hell, I like the Miz too, but. Yeah, but his acting and, and have you seen the films like uh, the Marines uh, that he did and, you know. The, well, I mean, the... what can you do? You can't save a series that John Cena started. I mean, ugh. I actually think he's not a half bad actor nowadays, John <laughs> Cena. He's not the best, but he's not half bad anymore. He's not the still, rock. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, he's not the rock and he's not Batista, but he's still not bad. He's better than Vin Diesel. At least, at least wow. I can say that. <laughs> I mean, I can't argue with you on that, so I mean he's better than some of these guys we have we were forced to watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So That's true. So I mean, no, you know, I mean, hopefully we got some better than things. Steven Seagal or you know what I mean. So <laughs> maybe we'll get some good things in twenty twenty two. Like I said, I'm I'm really hoping that is the Friday the 13th lawsuits and all that have been settled that we'll finally get a good yeah. Friday the 13th. And let me just go on the record, okay? You know, I like a lot of the actors, all of the actors that have played Jason. But one more time, I want Kane Hodder back as Jason. And if you're only going to give it to me one time, I've got the movie for you to do it. We need a second Freddy versus Jason, and Kane Hodder needs to play Jason in that. He should have played Jason in the first one. Yeah, I guess they said he wasn't tall enough, so that's why they didn't Lord have mercy. Because they wanted Jason to tower over Freddy, and it's like, um, it doesn't matter. It's Jason and Freddy. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's my real wish. For this year, I want some kind of news. I am kind of interested in this Hellraiser reboot. I do think it's interesting that they're going to cast a female in the role of Pinhead. Yeah. What, I did find now, what, what may surprise a lot of people is I am not upset about that. I don't know about the actress that they picked. I personally would have picked uh, Tilda Swanson to play the character of Pinhead because I think she's a, a fantastic actress. But if you read the original story by Clive Barker, The Hellbound Heart, the Cenobites are said to be androgynous. So I have no problem with that because that's the source material. What I don't like is when you just change it to change it. I don't want to see a female Freddy. I don't want to see a female Leatherface. I don't want to see a female Jason. That's not how the characters were created. I agree. You know, I don't I don't agree with that because, you know, then I'll bring up, you know, of course, people say it's, you know, I'm being an asshole by saying this, but it's like, okay, when Shaft was written, Shaft was written as a black man. Right. Well, Mm -hmm. hey, why, why, you know, for the sake of diversity, why don't we make Shaft a white man? Or a white woman. Exactly. Well, then it's not not okay. You know, 
So I, I just I don't believe in changing the race of the characters to check off a list. You know, there's nothing wrong with creating a great female killer, a great female monster, a great uh, of any ethnicity. You know, Candyman to yeah. me was the pinnacle of I don't, I don't even know if you would really call Candyman a bad guy. He really wasn't no, in a sense. He's really not. No, he's really <laughs> not. At you know, but to you know, to me that showed that you can make a great character that's not white. But it's like people are. It, I just feel like people are too lazy now to do it, and it's just simple to take a character and change its race or change or, or change its gender. You know, that's just go out and do it. The opportunities are there now. If people want that diversity so bad, then go out and make it and stop. T- talking about it quit changing what's already there be original yeah I, I, yeah I saw people getting mad about they were changing the sex of pinhead and I, and that was my argument as well it was like have you read the hellbound heart because i own it and i have read it and yes yeah they don't have any sex and so it's funny because you know it's pinhead and everybody's it's doug bradley it has to be this it has to be a guy um well, doug well bradley i am gonna is, say though it is going to be hard to see someone else in that role in oh the yeah, other they've done some already, they, but yeah, when they've yeah. changed, when the other actors have played Pinhead, it's just it just doesn't resonate. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to see someone else playing Pinhead, whether it was a man or a woman. But I am interested because, like I said, it, you know, for those of us that have read the story and know, the character was made to be, as you said, basically sexless. It could be a man or a woman. So I'm all for that because that's the source material. Which, you know, that's one of the things I always thought, too, they should have done with Candyman was take it to where he had a daughter or something like that. And so we have, you know, so they can have a, a you know, a black woman serial, you know, slasher in, in the genre. You know, I thought that would have been cool, you know, to take and be like, oh, it's his daughter, because that's one of the only ones you can really do that with. And so, but right. I mean, you no, know, it would be, you know, it would be interesting to see that. Well, who knows? You know, they're probably going to make another one. Oh yeah, after the success of this one, they're definitely making another one. So, so we'll just a, have to see where it goes. A lot of people have actually seen it, you know. Which, uh, like I said, man, I enjoyed it. I, I I was all against it at first, but then I actually enjoyed it because I liked the way uh, they they decided to take the character uh, of being like, it's not just the one; it can be any of these people that have been wrong, you know. So I thought that was kind of cool, but I mean, you know, wasn't no, the best. Like... And like I said. <laughs> The ending was kind of the execution was poor. Yeah. There, there you go. The execution was poor. Yep. But all right, man. Well, I've had you on here long enough, so I'm gonna let you get (laughs) out here. But um, you know, usually I have anybody, um, any of my guests on here uh, promote any anywhere that people can find them or look up their work. I I, I know you've been out of out of commission for a little bit, but um, when you do come back, um, you know. Um, well, people can keep an eye on my Facebook page. That's the best place to find me. The Calling Hours Horror Podcast also has a Facebook page, so you can find me on there. And it's coming sooner or later. Um, it, it's coming much sooner. Um, I still write for the Digital Dead magazine out of the UK, so you can still find my work there. The Calling Hours Horror Podcast will be back. So I, I hope people are ready for it, and, and I know you are, and I'm looking forward to having you on as a regular on my show again, brother. And I appreciate you having me on. Oh, yeah, man. That was good to just to talk to you, man. I've been wanting to get you on here in a, for a while anyways. It's just, you know, my podcast hasn't been the most uh, uh, 
uh, I don't know how to say it, but precise, I guess, would be the right word as, you know, as of recently. Because, you know, first season I had some hiccups and a little couple of hiccups here and there on this season as well. But, you know, it's getting better as it goes on. I'm only about 20 episodes in. You're the one with over 100 episodes, man, you know, close to 150. <laughs> so, you know, you're the pro. I, I'm just an amateur trying to trying to find my you're way do, You're doing so. good, man. Don't don't put yourself down. The numbers the numbers will come. And like I said, I'm very proud of how far you've come and and how you've persevered. And you're doing what you want to do. That's that's all I ever want wanted for you was fight through the negativity. And you're living proof that if you're if you work hard, you can achieve what it is that you're setting out to do. So please keep doing that. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. You're the reason why I kind of stepped up and started doing all this to begin with. I mean, Danny gave me the opportunity at the at the first site we worked at. You know, me and you worked at together there. I mean, not your first site, but mine that we worked right. at together. But um, but yeah, I mean, she she gave me the opportunity, but you're the reasons why I wanted to chase it anyways, because after hearing your podcast and uh, getting to know you and becoming friends with you and, you know, it's, it's just been, you know, you, you've really inspired me to do a lot, man. So I appreciate everything. And like I said, I based this podcast basically off of your podcast. So anybody who likes these form this format, I mean, not this one specifically, because this is our New Year's special here, but <laughs> anybody who likes the format we typically do with, you know, a review up front and then, you know, an interview towards the end and stuff. If, if you want to listen to some more of that stuff, go check out the Calling Hours um, Horror Podcast because that's where basically we kind of took our, our inspiration from here. And um, he's got a ton of great interviews. Like you said, um, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis, Larry Cohen. I mean, just the Cenobites. He's had on Adam Marcus just as like I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, had on some really fantastic, great people from the genre. And and so check definitely check that out. Um you know, uh, there's a ton of episodes to listen to, and it just, it's so much fun. And that's, you know, what really got my, caught my attention to begin with and made me start jumping into the horror industry was finding your podcast. So I, I uh, just appreciate you a ton, man. And I just, you know, thank you for everything, brother. You know it. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the dead man, Michael Jones, telling you all to rest in peace.